Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me via Zencaster, as always, is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, be patient. Sometimes you have to go through the worst to get to the best. And those are the sage words of one Leo Komarov, a philosopher and now ex-Islander. Uh, and they have become even more sage than they were when he tweeted them because uh, the Islanders season seems to be on the precipice of oblivion right now <laughs> after a hugely unsuccessful road trip and uh, a pretty devastating injury yeah uh tonight on islanders anxiety anxiety uh just pretty <laughs> pretty horrifying stuff here uh it's the worst part is there are so many people who i was just on the phone with a guy who works with me at action network he's from calgary great guy uh and he's just talking to me like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, what was their road record last year? I, it was around the same, right? And it was, uh, you know, 13. They haven't played a home game yet, man. Like, just relax. And that's the last thing I want to hear right now, especially <laughs> with the, you know, Ryan Pollock injury, Josh Bailey's in uh, Florida still. <laughs> it's it's like the the road trip. The Islanders had 12 points, to, what, 10 days ago, two, two weeks ago, whatever it was, when they beat Winnipeg and – this whole time we've been saying like you, you can't really talk about the success of this road trip until they get to beyond that 13 point or at that 13 point mark. And they never did. And it's just har- horrible because not just they didn't get, I think the amount of points you, you would want for this road trip to be a success, but it's also how off the rails it went in the last 48 hours because uh, the games weren't good, but also the the stuff off the ice 
not promising. And it, it does. They're just uh, the fact that they're going into this new build. I mean, how did we not see this coming is the first question. <laughs> we are incredibly naive to think right. that this building was going to open with like, you know, the Islanders rolling in at an eight, eight, two and three or something. That's a egg on everyone's face. And uh, it's, and so of course, like, of course this building was going to open with the team limping in with Sebastian Ajo probably going to be playing <laughs> top four minutes. And uh, you know, Josh Bailey, of course, like the most Josh Bailey thing ever is he's in mm. a hotel in Florida when this team opens up the building that he's been playing towards his whole career. So uh, there's just so much to unpack here, and it's a lot of it is uh, on ice, a lot of it's off ice, and a lot of it is like existential and Islanders, like in in our own in between our ears. Uh, so let's, yes. I guess, we'll try to get to it. There is definitely a lot to unpack, and we are very fortunate that we have along with us a friend who will help us unpack all of this. Uh, he is Kerry Haber, and of course, you know him from Lighthouse Hockey, you know him from Twitter, and uh, he's going to help us. Uh, get on through all of this and make sense of everything. Uh, Carrie, how are you? Guys, I, I things are happening, and I don't know if they're all good or not. Yeah. And I, I think we all need to unpack this together because, yeah. I, I don't know, the ledge is approaching. Um, and uh, I, no pressure on you, but it's your job to drag Mike and I and probably a lot of other people away from this edge. So I just want to make sure that you're clear about that. Right. But uh, let's, uh, let, let's, however close to the edge you may be, but uh, let's just start with, I'm going to just very quickly recap the last three games. Mike and I obviously sat here. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, very quickly anyway, you know, we, they were going into this, you know, obviously they're this last part of the road trip. And we're like, yeah, you know, we'll get some points, but they lost them all for nothing to New Jersey. Yeah, they kind of got goalied a little bit. Mackenzie Blackwood was very, very good, but you know, the Islanders didn't play particularly well either. Uh, gave up a shorthanded goal during an awful power play. We're going to talk a lot about the power play in a second. Just a really deflating, terrible, sloppy game that really you know didn't do anybody any favors. And then, of course, you had the two Florida teams looming. Um, they lost to Tampa Bay 4-1. The, it kind of came off the rails in the third period. I thought that game was actually a lot closer than the final score indicated, but still like the, the lightning became the lightning in the last five or six minutes of the game and put it out of reach. And that was it. And then there was the six, one demolition in sunrise the next night that, you know, okay, fine. They, their first period was absolutely terrible. It was four, nothing in the first uh, full disclosure, by the way, I turned it off after four, nothing, not the, the score was obviously very bad. It didn't look like they were coming back, but the guy who scored the four, nothing goal was Patrick Hornquist. And I can't fucking stand this guy. It's just his face, his game, his stupid number. I just, I hate him. I hate him. And I was just like, that. I can't take this anymore. I turned it off. And then we ended up watching Below Deck or whatever it was that was on that night. So, um, yeah. So, you know, there were parts of these games where the Islanders looked okay. But at the end of the day, they came away with four, you know, three losses, two goals scored. Uh, you know, they, they gave up uh, uh, 14 goals and including the, you know, if you go back to the one in Minnesota, it's even worse. So, so, Carrie, like, let's start with, you know, the obvious question, like, is there any kind of silver linings to take away from any of these games at all? Because, uh, you know, from the looks of it, maybe there isn't. Uh, kind of. I think, <laughs> like, okay, so I test looked really bad. They just, I, I don't know if they're just worn down or, I, I think it's honestly, like, so many factors, like, they, they haven't woken up in their bed and been like, we have a game tonight at home. Like, that hasn't happened at all this year. I <laughs> feel like that's a bit of a problem. So I think they're probably worn down. Like, they are human. And then, like, they also ran into kind of a buzzsaw of competition. Like, the Devils are pretty good. 
And obviously the Panthers and Lightning are very good, class of the league good. And then, I don't know, it just seemed like there's like a conflation of events. But like overall, the team isn't playing poorly when you look at like the advanced metrics. But then they also like just got through this four game stretch where their PDO, which is save percentage plus um, shooting percentage, was was under 90 in all situations. So, like, it can't continue to be this bad. And, like, I think I'm having a hard time reconciling the difference between what I am physically watching, which is, like, really bad. Like, there's some really noticeable gaps on this team that are going to yeah. need to be fixed. And then I also am looking at what, like, the data is saying, and it's like, well, maybe it's not actually that bad. And I feel like it probably is in the middle of those things where like the play is obviously dictating some of what is coming up in the data. Like they, it feels like they have allowed a lot of high danger chances and they have, they're like over the last four games, they're in the bottom 10 of the league in terms of high, high danger chances allowed per 60 minutes. And like those chances are going in. So like the goalies aren't making the saves that they normally make, but at the same time you're like, well, okay, maybe that won't continue, but, but, will all of these high danger chances against continue? Like maybe, especially now that Ryan Pollock's out for mm. way too long. And so I'm like kind of in the middle where I'm like, yeah, there's some real problems here. And at the same time, I'm like, well, math will say that there's going to be regression in the mean coming at some point. And usually it's because the Islanders are like overperforming what the numbers are saying, but now it's, they're like way underperforming it, which is a really fun place to be now that everyone in the <laughs> Canadian media has decided that the Islanders are actually good. Like yeah. it couldn't, couldn't have gone any better. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And the devil's game in particular, they had a lot of zone time, which, you know, and a lot of uh, uh, whatever Corsi four, which is, you know, very unusual for the Islanders. They're not usually that kind of team, but they, the scoring chances went back and forth either way. And the devils cashed in on theirs and the Islanders just simply didn't. Um, and their power play again, which we'll talk about in a second is absolutely dreadful. And then in the lighting game, the high danger chances four were, within one or two of each other. Like, I think it was like maybe 13 for Tampa and 11 for the Islanders. So again, like, you know, with numbers like that generally kind of favor the Islanders when they're getting the saves and when the goals are dropping for them. But in most of the, in every game they've played, you know, the last four, since that Winnipeg game, so four straight games, they have had no luck and gotten no saves basically, (laughs) uh, that they normally get. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, the PDO thing that you pointed out today, and and I thought that was pretty interesting. Like people used to say, like, oh, this is it's kind of a measure of luck, but you know, really, it's like shooting percentage and save percentage, and you know, these things can can kind of balance out over the course of time. But like to be at eighty nine percent is like that literally means that no shots are going in and no saves are being made. Like that's and that's like ludicrous. It's just unbelievable. And like you said, there's a confluence of events and factors, but like like generally speaking that will come around right i mean there's i don't know has there ever been a recorded instance of a team just having this completely terrible uh pdo for an entire season or am i just being crazy no not this low i mean it's going to come around to some degree like they're not like this isn't going to be forever but it's we're getting to the point where it's like i'm i'm rooting for the pdo bender to to, to start like I don't really <laughs> care how they play. They just need to win some games and I'll worry about the rest later. Like, especially with Pollock out and mm. I don't even know, like, I like we need like some of these guys to start scoring that haven't been scoring. And part of that is just maybe luck. Like Kyle Palmieri hits the post in the first five minutes of the game last night 
And I like, I know he ended up scoring later in the game, but it's just like, like, it's just, it feels like those kinds of things are happening over and over and over again. So, I mean, I think like, it's not going to stay this way forever, but it's like one of those things where you need that luck to, to turn around pretty quickly. Otherwise you could find yourself in a real deep hole when it comes to the standings. Yeah, seriously. It it also seems like it's so obvious. I I remember when uh, the Islanders were in the first period against the Devils, I was going I was going to be able to watch the first period because then I had to go to softball. And I just like the first six or seven minutes being like, they're not scoring tonight. Like it's just incredibly <laughs> obvious. And then when Kyle Palmieri hit the uh, posts against the Panthers immediately, I was just like, yep, th- this is going to end up in the back of the Islanders net because not only did they not, they, they, they had a decent power play, a couple good looks hits the post. Um, you just know that that luck's not going to come around uh, or, you know, it's not, the fact that the luck didn't come around at that second, it was going to end up being bad. And it was. And then even the lightning game, I, when uh, Barzell scores on that breakaway, and I was like, wow, first of all, great pass from Parisi, uh, great move from Barzell. The team looked good. Chara with the fight to like maybe get some uh, you know, juices flowing, kind of drag the team into the fight with him. And, but then as soon as Matthew Joseph scored, you know, seconds later, I was like, well, they're not going to score again. This is, this team has not been able to fight back from that kind of adversity. You knew that that was going to be a six. I felt I thought it was going to be six one. What ended up four one for the Lightning, but yeah. I, it's it seems incredibly obvious. And I remember last year thinking, I think it was the Capitals games. The the you know is apropos because I think these were the Leo Komarov games uh, when he he blew two points on his own in two consecutive games, which is really just impressive more than anything. Um, <laughs> remembering like the Islanders weren't playing well yet they weren't winning really um and I think those games were games two and three of a three game losing streak or something and but they were playing better like they were showing some signs and that's how this team seems seems to kind of go they like you can they might not win a game like but you can tell that okay they're starting to find their form and the next thing you know they go on these long lengthy point streaks and uh they need one of those really badly but I can't see it coming like that's that's what's driving me nuts is that with the stretch that's coming up, of course they're opening this building with a back-to-back against two really good teams, and they're playing the Rangers and the the next game after those two games and the Penguins, and what is basically going to be a playoff game uh, with the way these two teams are playing right now. It's like, how on earth uh, is is this happening, and how did we not see it coming? Because uh, like Carrie was saying, and everyone was counting on the Islanders and picking the Islanders to be good uh, this year. So um, hopefully, everyone just counts them out and especially with the Pollock thing this team does seem to have a, a thing about playing better when everyone does count them out and they love to prove people wrong and uh, hopefully you know that that is the case because I'm one of the people they need to prove <laughs> wrong at this point and I wasn't expecting that yeah. uh, to be the case because they they need to you know realistically like they got a couple weeks left to to stay afloat in this division uh yeah. And it's not an easy schedule. Um, real quick, the uh, the Pollock thing we hadn't didn't actually mention it is he is out four to six weeks with a lower body injury, might be a foot, might be an ankle, something like that, sustained in that Tampa Bay game, and uh, they have already apparently pulled uh, Robin Sallow from tonight's game in Bridgeport, uh, and looks like he'll get called up. But you know, to Carrie's point, like. This was not a team that was playing particularly well <laughs> in any of these games. Like, yeah, the shots aren't going in and they're not making the saves. But, like, 
guys like you know the the Pulik and Pelic pairing had been broken up in order to compensate for like Chara and Dobson kind of struggling a little bit. Andy Green is still out there. He's still thirty seven years old. Hey, he just had his thousandth game. That's great, man. But like, what are you doing out there? Like, it's just you know, not to put you know to call point fingers at people, but like, what are you seeing that? that they're not doing that they normally do do. They're letting guys get past them. I can tell right from the, you know, from the blue line, they're letting people in a lot. They're letting people win board battles. This is not the Islanders that we're, we've become accustomed to seeing over the last couple of years. And like, I think that's where the changes need to come in. It's not so much, you know, guy from Bridgeport, but it's just like in play style, something needs to get. Yeah. This is the thing that's like really hard driving. To. Like if you told me that after the short trip, they would be 10th in the league and expected goal share. I'd be like, Oh yeah. Like what a great road trip this was. Right. And like, but it hasn't really turned out that way. I think part of it is like, yeah, the way that they play right now, just to me seems like so fragile. Like they will, uh, their transition game is so ridiculously bad right now. Like they're getting zero offense from their defensemen. And what that's doing is it's taxing the forwards. So like, like, all of these forwards have to play, like, like yeah, there's the old trope of, like, oh, yeah, we have to play a 200-foot game. But, like, they really have to play a 200-foot game because <laughs> the defense can't move the puck. So you have, like, centers who, like, are basically, like, being asked to, to rush the puck up, come back on defense, do the same thing over and over again. And, like, I don't know. The, it, it, the whole thing seems, like, really fragile. And then the other part of it is, like, these guys are getting exhausted because they're getting hemmed in. And when it happens, they can't clear the puck. Like if I, I don't know, it just seems like guys are like kind of like flailing with their sticks, trying to chip the puck out. And like, it's kind of an easy, like save at the blue line for whatever team they're playing as defenseman. It's just like, it's so disjointed. Like they're not playing even like when they were at their best last couple of years, they had a defenseman, whether it was Letty or Taves or both that can, rush the puck up and kind of give reprieve to the forwards and they don't really have that right now like their best transition defenseman is adam pellick and like he's oh, he's good at it but he's not the same level of like puck moving defenseman with incredible skating ability that those other guys were and I, you know i think all of all of these guys have have flaws to them when i'm you know letty and taves and yada 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 but like they still provided something unique to this team that they just simply don't have right now. So with Aho coming up and like that honestly hasn't gone very well and maybe <laughs> Salo can be what they need. I mean, honestly, like they kind of need Salo to be Devon Taves right now, which is really asking a lot of this. Guy. Right. Yeah. No kidding. But they, um, yeah. and they need Aho to be Nick Letty. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's, like I was going to say, I think if, if the two of them are playing together, like it's almost like taking care of a weakness, because you can face it, I don't think either one of them are going to be up to to the to standards of those two guys. But at least if, if with two of them uh, in there, at least you have two pairs. Hopefully, that will have at least one guy who can skate a puck out of trouble. Because, like you were saying, before Aho started playing, they really had nobody. And I, I'm, the more I think about it with the defense, I think the more disappointing I, I am with like Noah Dobson's start. Um, because I was kind of counting on him to be the guy who who bridged the gap between the the Pollock and Pellick pair which obviously was hasn't been a pair but you know what I'm saying like between the top and the bottom of the defense and it, it hasn't gone to plan with Dobson and and if you're you know being honest with yourself like ever since he got COVID it's he's just not been the same player going back to last season and it makes me just nervous because like this guy we already seen him scratched and 
uh, you know, we all think he's he's got the tools. Uh, obviously, he's a big guy. He's a good skater. He can move the puck. He can get the puck on net. Uh, if, if you go back and watch a lot of highlights from the playoffs, which I do all the time, <laughs> uh, you'll notice that the fifth man skating into the, the celebratory hug is always <laughs> Noah Dobson because mm. he's, you know, he throws a puck to the net, hits off someone's skates or a pen, and so, you know, Brock Nelson's there to clean it up. And they just haven't gotten any of that out of him yet. And, and I'm not giving up on him. I think it's to come. And, and that's the point I'm making is like, I think a lot of these guys are playing at like between 40 and 60% of their ceiling. And to what Carrie was saying before, that shouldn't and can't and hopefully won't continue. And hopefully when these guys do find their game, whether it's Dobson, whether it's, you know, Palmieri, but I think the past four games, Beauvillier, you can say Sezikis, the, the fourth line in general, uh, Anders Lee. Like, th- there's a lot of guys who just haven't. I think been playing. Does well. Peugeot have one goal right now, or yeah, none? I think, I think <laughs> basically, it's it's that everybody on the team either has one or none, except for uh, Nelson Beauvillier, Lee and, and Barzell. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's just on Wallstrom. <laughs> and, and the guy, yeah, and the guy who doesn't play much. Right. <laughs> like, like, it's just there's gonna be some something that like this this they're gonna f- hopefully find their form, and it just has to happen yeah. a lot quicker than we thought. Especially because they got off to that five two and two start. You're like, oh, like they just bought themselves so much time. Wrong. They bought themselves two weeks. Yeah. Right. Um, compounding the issue are terrible special teams. Uh, the Islanders have given up two shorthanded goals already this season, which is one more than they gave up last year. And I'm sure nobody listening to this will forget that the one they gave up last year was a playoff game. In fact, game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Um, and so uh, I never, I have never gotten to say this on the podcast before. So I'm very excited to be able to say this. But we got a listener question via email from Ian. He sent me this very uh, uh, well-written uh, email asking a very pertinent question. And when I knew that Carrie was coming on, I was like, oh, perfect. We can ask Carrie this question and see if what he's, his thoughts on, on this are. And uh, it's a great email. And basically what his question is like, how come it seems like on the power play, which is dead last in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken, right, is 12% uh, operation, I think, as far as last night goes. Probably worse now that they didn't score against the, Pan- the Panthers. Um, but he's wondering... How come it seems like every time there's a pass across the zone, the guy receiving the pass gets it on his wrong hand? So it's always on his backhand, basically, which kind of limits what they can do. He says uh, the passing ideas are fine, but because they're on the wrong side, they're ineffective and allow defenders to move into position, discouraging shots and leading to the now classic refrain, well, they need to get more pucks in the net. That's a good point. (laughs) So, Carrie, I throw the question out to you. Um, You know, in terms of sort of power play effectiveness – is this handedness thing a problem? Because I mean, as as Ian says in his email, when he watches good power plays, and I like that he he you know says that good power plays because the Islanders' power play is not good. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that yeah, like guys receiving the puck generally aren't on their backhand, and you know their power play is just so ineffective right now. And uh, my daughter was sitting next to me last night. I'm watching the game on a computer, and she she said, "This is a true story." She says uh, she came across. She's reading a book. She's reading a Percy Jackson book, and she came across the word anemic, and she's like, "What does that mean?" And at first I went into the whole like medical definition of that, but it turns out anemic in that context in the book meant like weak or ineffective. And uh, I was like, perfect example right here. The Islanders are about to go on the power play and their power player this season has been totally anemic. It has been depressingly awful. So there's anemic in a sentence right now. So uh, Carrie is, does the handedness of these players have something to do with how anemic the Islanders offense is? 
I think to a degree it does. I think like, okay, so first of all, like I'm, I'm not a coach, but so <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to preface with that. Yeah. But I think it, I think it compounds a lot of issues that they have with power play. The first one being like, they really have, they really have a lot of problems getting into the zone to begin with. <laughs> like yes. they, like the last couple of years when the power play has gone on good runs, it's been Letty and Matt Barzell on the same unit, which has allowed like it, it's allowed two threats to enter the zone. And now they like when Barzell's on the ice, like it's really just kind of him and sometimes Bavillier. And then like when they're not on the ice, it's like, I don't know, Nelson, Zach, Pru- like, it's just like guys yeah. that are trying to get into the zone. And I, and so like, that's the first problem. So already off the top, it's like kind of predictable how they're going to get into the zone. And so that, that makes it easy to defend. But then the other thing is one of the, if I were to call out a mistake, what or what I think is a mistake, it's taking Peugeot off of that bumper slot. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even think he's gotten much power play time at all this year. And I don't really understand that because they, even though they do have a fair amount of right-handed shots on the power play now, like that, like having him in that spot with either Nelson or Lee down low presents so much more of a threat. But like they kind of like I've overloaded with righties with Palmieri and Wallstrom mm. and Barzell, like all also being there and both defensemen who play the power play are righties. So like that's kind of where I do think the handedness does come into play because you like not only are you are the passes more predictable that way, but it's also a situation where um, because there's not really a ton of creativity happening on that power play either, like they don't move the puck very fast. It's, it's very systematic. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but like they also don't have the, except for Wallstrom, they don't really have the guys that can kind of snipe the puck home to, or even on net mm-hmm. to try and create some like, like separate or some different look. They're really doing a lot of the same thing, which is trying to get the puck down low to either Lee or, or Parisi or Nelson or whoever's in front of the net. And so I think like, I feel like there's like multiple factors that are going on with this, but bottom line is it's really easy to defend and the guys mm. on the team that should be creative aren't. And they also don't really have a good power play quarterback either. Like you basically kind of are asking Barzell to do all three of those things, which is asking way too much. And they like they don't have a defenseman. Like we like Mike talked about Dobson. And like this is another area where they've lost a unique skill set that they had that they don't have anymore. And it's kind of left the whole situation in a bit of disarray. So that's, that's fun. But I think it's like really like all of those things. There was, there was one point, I think it was a Tampa game where Aho was running the power play. And I was like, wow, he's, they're doing, this is a good looking power play. Like they're, they're moving the puck pretty well. And uh, it occurred to me that the Islanders have two power play units. And on one of the units was Aho, Bailey, Barzell. Uh, I can't even remember who else, maybe Peugeot or someone. I don't know who else, but it's basically guys who you would typically uh, uh, refer to as pass first. Uh, players and then the next power play unit you come out and you got like guys who get drunk on shooting the puck <laughs> so it's like you got because you had palmary nelson, nelson yeah like, like <laughs> um, what is going like there's some balance to be found here and then and you know islanders fans complained about scott gomez when he was running the power play it's it's clearly like it's it's us complaining about it's not gonna get anything done and nobody's gonna go to the ubs arena on saturday and start a fire jim hiller chan like this is a, this this is a just a problem it's been a problem for a while because i think of 
as Carrie was saying, like the personnel is um, probably just not conducive to having a team that's going to be good on the power play. You don't have Adrian O'Coin and like Roman Hammer like running the show, and then Kenny Johnson on the second unit. Like that, there. That's the issue here more than anything. Like Carrie said, like there's no um, the support from the back end just isn't there, and the fact that I was actually impressed with the power play that. Uh, didn't get a shot on goal, but they moved the puck pretty well between the the, the the triangle at the top really just goes to show you just how goddamn bad it's been. And when you're the Islanders have always just been a team of thin margins too, right? Like uh, they play, play a game where they, they are their best quality is they, when they play teams with more talent, they they're able to turn games into coin flips and their worst uh, quality is that when they play teams that are worse than them, a lot of times they turn games into coin flips. Uh, and and when you play like that, you need either the goaltending or the the special teams or just the work ethic to be what takes you over the line and gets you the two points. And um, none of that. I mean, I, I don't even want to blame anything on the goaltending because Ilya Sorokin has just been spectacular um, for through the first month of the season. But the fact that the special teams and the work ethic and the attention to detail, all of which should be much, much better. Uh, that's, that's what's really bugging me because it's just never, you know, they, they, this was never a team that even when they were bad, you're like, you know, they're, they're working hard, but they're just not that good tonight. And now it's like, it feels like yeah, some of them are working hard and the rest of them aren't that good either. So it's, that's, what's really frustrating. And I, I've, I've never been mad at Casey Sasekis in my life. I don't think, um, but to see him fly by, uh, yeah this, that second goal if if Casey Sezekis is you know not up for the challenge and I know he was sick the night before so maybe you know he just wasn't feeling great but if he's not you know uh, grinding uh, through every shift like that's when you know maybe that the team just hasn't been there yet and my hope is that now that they have you know these it's they are human right like and they've played so many high stakes games over the past two years you think about going back to the bubble that was 20 whatever 20 games of playoff hockey and then the 56 game season against everyone in their in their division as they said from the the moment the puck dropped on opening night like yeah this is a basically a 56 game playoff because you're playing against teams that you're competing with for playoff spots and then they obviously played 19 games in last year's playoffs so they've been playing so many high stakes games that yeah maybe like the uh, october night in columbus is just not it's a little bit harder for them to get up for my hope now is that with Ryan Pollock out and them needing to make up a lot of ground, that these games become more high stakes. And hopefully the effort at least is there uh, because I think the past two nights have been about as inexcusable uh, as a performance that we've seen under uh, this regime. Yeah. Um, real quick before we I ask about uh, uh, Pollock, the, my my thing, the Casey Seekers one was one, but I, I forget if it was in the Panthers game or the Lightning game. Where, uh, yeah, no, I think it was in the Lightning game. So Tampa had had where they were on the power play, and Green, Andy Green, had the puck, and he was skating towards the blue line, and it looked like he was just gonna, you know, skate over the line, and some Tampa guy just came over and just took it from him, maybe a foot from the blue line, and they got another like forty five seconds of zone time out of it, and they may have scored. I'm not even sure. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just get it out. I don't understand. Like, what what was Green thinking about doing at that moment? With that puck, you were already down. Like I, I, that to me is like you said. That's like the flyby. That's just, that's the kind of effort that you never see from these guys. And and you know with Sorokin before the Panthers scored that goal, the their first goal, no, the second goal, he makes a spectacular save. He doesn't know where the puck is, and then immediately 
Ryan Lomberg or whoever it was grabs a puck right from underneath him and just scores because everybody's just kind of standing around. So like it's kind of one or the other. Um, but as far as, as Pulick being out, obviously this is like a huge problem. Um, and, you know, getting a replacement Ryan Pulick is not something you can just sort of pick up. Um, but uh, like what is it specifically that Pulick does that they'll need to replace? Like what what are kind of his his sort of like secret underlying numbers that I mean, obviously we know what he does. We were all tired of hearing about the shot now that never hits the net. So let's forget about that for a second, but like defensively, what is it that he does that, that they really need to, to replicate and hopefully, you know, they can find that and kind of turn this thing around. Yeah. I mean the, the reality, like everyone talks about a shot, but the reality is he's one of the best like defensive defensemen. In right. <laughs> he is like, it's not his offense. He's really not an offensive guy. He just has the shot. His gap control is amazing. Like he he is always in the right place. I mean, one of the like real underlying things of this season is they they because their defense is so like bizarre <laughs> and guys don't really have like aren't really playing in the right roles. They they broke up one of the best pairings, if not the best pairing in right. the league for this. And I mean, he's honestly like Pollock's done a really good job with. Sedano Chara or whatever is left of him. And I think like it's, they're going to miss that so much. Like they really, there really is no replacement for what he does in the defensive zone. He just has the ability, like it's, it's, it's zone exits, it's gap control. It's, it's protecting the front of the net. It's being able to tie guys up in the corner. It's all of those things that he does in the half court of their own zone that I like, I, I don't know how they're going to make up for that. I honestly think their best bet is to kind of change a little bit how they play. Like I, we go back to them potentially calling up Robin Sallow and maybe they just kind of need to move to more of a high stakes uh, transition game than they've been playing with Sallow and Aho both presumably being in the lineup. And I mean, I don't know if it's actually going to shake out that way. I mean, I, I think it's probably going to be one of them, at least in the interim, but to me, it's like you have to accentuate the positives that you have. And if the positive now is going to be that you have more guys that can move the puck and are better in transition, then maybe that's what how they need to approach this. They're also going to be at home a lot more. Like this is a really matchup oriented team. The I was going to ask you this question and follow up too. So go, yeah, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Islanders, have a really good home record for a lot of reasons. Obviously the atmosphere that they they've been playing in is really good, but they also had a really good home record in the Barkley center under Barry Trotz where like four people showed up and two, you know, Mike was one of them. And I think like realistically, you know, it's not just about the atmosphere. It's also Trotz's ability to get the matchups that he wants. It's the routine that they have. I mean, like maybe I'm being too glib about it, but, it's not just the fact that they played 13 games on the road. It's that they played seven games in a month where I'll, where everyone is playing every other night. Yeah. It's that and when they do play, it's back to back. I feel like that, like it's not just like, and I, like, I know people are like, well, they came home. Yeah, they came home. But like, again, they, they haven't been able to do their home routine once. And the season's been over a month long. So it's like, how can you take these things that were negative and then take, this period of time to kind of reset everything and move that more into a positive. And I think there are positives. Like they have been playing a good game overall, despite the last couple of games. Like, like I said, they're 10th in the league and expected goals without playing a single home game. You now have the ability to control matchups. You now have the home crowd behind you. You now have a routine. You now have a more normalized schedule coming up. Like, I think the next 
three to four weeks, even without Ryan Pollock, are going to tell us a lot more about if this team can actually make some noise or if this is just a doom season and we all just kind of have to live with it. <laughs> but my suspicion is that it is going to be more towards the former and that they are going to at least make make something out of this. The, mm. the, I, I, I was talking to a couple people about the schedule and like the ones who were telling me to calm down about, you know, they haven't even played a home game yet. And I was saying that the, the thing that has been more of a, you know, uh, I know, I think we got to bleep it out, but like a mind fuck than anything has been the the way that the games have been uh, spread out in, like you said, like they, they went through that one stretch where they played one game in like 11 days. Then they, yeah. then they come back, they play two games and they're off three days and they played back to back and they're off three more days. And they went a weekend, like last weekend without playing a game in between the devil's loss and the back to back in Florida. Uh, I think that more than anything has been what's really screwed with like been the most difficult part of the road trip. And it's now kind of part of like lose Islander lore when, when he said he saw the schedule and he went for a a walk and, and I think we now know he didn't go for a walk because they were starting with 13 games on the road. I think he's, (laughs) I think it was because it was, this sounds weird, but it was quote unquote only 13 games on the road, right? Like they could have played 16 if, or 17, even like if they wanted to, if they were spaced out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I think that's what was so kind of worrisome for the, for the team. And, and uh, they just, they, they, it doesn't seem like they never ran out of. I don't know if running out of gas is what happened. I think it was more that they never were were sparked uh, in the last two weeks because they would play a game, then they'd be off, and then they'd play a game three days later, and then the next day it would be a back to back, and like then you're like, oh Jesus Christ! Like you can't get into any sort of rhythm that way. So um, the the th- there's so many different emotions I think that this road trip has caused. And that's why I think everyone's like, I'm just so happy to, that they're going home and uh, you know, the, that it's over. And it's because it's been such a, a helter skelter thing from top to bottom from the way the schedule has been. Like even today I'll go through these waves. I'm like, they haven't played a home game. Why am I panicking? I shouldn't be panicking. And then I remember that the reason I'm panicking is because they look terrible and that Ryan Pollock is hurt. And, then I, so then I get sad again, and then I look at the Metro and I get sadder again. And then, and then I remember they only have to play, you know, 28 more games on the road and they played a lot of good teams already. The, the losses that they've had, especially the crooked ones have been against good teams when they're in the middle of this road trip. And, uh, there's been a lot of extenuating circumstances from, uh, Varlama being hurt to the way the schedule is set up, uh, working in new players and especially a very unique player like Chara. Uh, it's just, there's been so many there are excuses to be made like where you can kind of when a horse runs a bad race, like you just can draw a line through it and then kind of throw it out. There definitely have been some excuses to be made. However, like it still doesn't excuse kind of the fact that they went, Oh, Oh, and four without collecting a single point to end it, which gives them no breathing room. So it's like, that's why it's just, it's really hard. I don't, I've asked like 25 people today. Like (laughs) if I should, if I should be giving up on the season or not. And I would say, 12 have said, yeah, I'm right there with you and I'm freaking out. 12 have said, don't be silly. Like this team is ex- was expected to do well, not just by us, but by, you know, the, the betting market, by professional bettors. I spoke to a professional better today who bet the Islanders to win the president's trophy and he took the blame for the start. Like there's like a lot of people who believed in this team for legitimate reasons. And those reasons are still here. Uh, one of the big ones is not, I guess, for the next four or six weeks, but uh, 
like there's just so many different emotions to deal with and that's why another three days off in between games is just mm. absolutely killer because like no one's going to be able to answer these problems these questions and conundrums except for the way they play on saturday and sunday uh so we just got to wait it out and and that's agonizing i think like mike you like bring up excuses and i think like there's a difference between making excuses and just like accepting reality. Like we can validate the fact that this was probably an extremely mentally exhausting exercise for them. <laughs> like, I think that's okay to just to, to say that and, and like realize that it actually could have gone a lot worse than it did. Yeah. I, that's the other thing, right? Like, could you imagine if, if, if they didn't collect those seven points, like that go on that seven game point streak, like I, hmm. this thing could have, this season legitimately could be over uh, mm. if, if they didn't, uh, you know, have that little s- s- uh, spurt in the, in the middle of the road trip. And I was going to say the it. team that that just got their asses handed to them for three straight games also got back to back shutouts right. and walked into Winnipeg, which had won eight straight and just completely dominated that team <laughs> from start to finish uh, and came within, you know, whatever it was five minutes, uh, five and a half minutes of two more shutouts, too. So, yeah. It's yeah, there's just there's so many it's just such a unique thing and, and that's why, you know, Dan and I always get so frustrated with, with the media because this thing is gonna be painted with a broad stroke no matter what. Like who's gonna get into the nitty gritty of this road trip besides people like us, other Islander podcasts, uh the guys who are covering the team, uh like Arthur Staple and Andrew Gross. Um uh, and that's really it. Everyone else is just gonna be like, you know, it's just gonna be talk show fodder. Is this a is you know is a time to panic on Long Island? Well, yes. I mean, because I would be panicking no matter what. Like if if they came out of this thing like eight three and two, I'd be like, well, did they you know shoot their shot before UBS or whatever? <laughs> I'd find a reason to panic. Trust me. But I don't need Tony Kornheiser or uh, <laughs> you know Jeff Marrick telling me how to feel like because mm. they're not going to get into the fact that hey, like yeah, did did you know the Islanders went eleven days where they played one game? Like this is a very strange. Yeah. Uh, thing. And we also don't need any Toronto-based bloggers for a certain subscription-based uh, journalism outfit posting Ryan Gosling laughing memes when he didn't <laughs> even know that the Islanders were even on a 13-game road yeah. trip. So I know it's what just, you mean. That's what's that's gonna, that's gonna add to the agony. It's like these guys. Right. This, this I'm gonna do my best to avoid it, but it's uh, I am a glutton for it. So I'll well, fail at that. <laughs> well, that that's what we're all here for. And uh, we can't thank you enough, Carrie, for coming on and, and helping us wade through all of these many emotions. Uh, if there's one thing that you want Islanders fans to remember going coming out of this road trip and, and going forward and, and trying to keep them from, you know, completely losing their minds, what would that be? If there's, I guess, one way to kind of sum up all the stuff that you brought up so far that kind of. I like your your analogy of making excuses and accepting reality. But if there's like one thing you want people to take away from all this, what would that be? Um, wow. First of all, thanks for having me. Well, I have an answer for this. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to a couple of things. That Like the reality is, like Mike said, and like you've said, Dan, this has been an extremely bizarre set of circumstances. <laughs> and they've come out of it in a place where they are not dead in the water by any stretch. And I think I go back to what I said. I think they play 20 of their next 29 games at home. If they like, that is their time to 
basically make it into the playoff race or not. At the end of the day, I don't think anyone really cares if how they get into the playoffs. It's really just <laughs> about getting into the playoffs. This team thrives in that environment. And so while there are definitely problems, like objective problems that this team has right now, I also think that there is there are things that we can all look forward to. And by the end of that, you know, 30-ish game stretch, I think we'll have a real handle on what this team is or isn't. There you go. So you heard it here, folks. New York Islanders, not dead yet. There you go. <laughs> There's the big takeaway. Not dead. Despite what you may have heard, the reports of their death have been greatly exaggerated. So thank you very much, Kerry. We can't we can't thank you enough for coming on. We'll get you on again, hopefully in, in a much happier time. I, I hate bringing people on when, when the team stinks because – then it's like very, you know, we, we have this great chat and it's always like kind of very depressing. So <laughs> so we want to hopefully we'll get John when things are a little bit better and uh, we'll uh, see where everything's at then and uh, see how it all worked out. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. Uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about the Islander career of the great Leo Komarov, who is now a member of KJ's ska. Uh, I don't know how to really say it, but I'm just going to say ska. And then it reminds me of, you know. Mighty, mighty boss tones or something like that. Uh, And uh, the bizarre circumstances that only Leo could possibly have left the Islanders under. So uh, give us a minute and come back and you'll hear about that. Thanks a lot. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Our favorite sponsor is VintageIceHockey.com, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. Vintage Ice Hockey also has our Al Arbor t-shirt, and our portion of the sales of that go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. You can use the code LIGHTHOUSE15 to save yourself 15%. Uh, We also have a new sponsor, Betway, which is the official betting partner of the NHL. Go to Betway.com to play Big Pick for free or to play for real residents in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Indiana, or in Iowa only. That's Betway.com. Please play responsibly. Uh, And also try wines from the Pinot Project, delicious Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé. All under $15 a bottle, available at your local wine shop, and also at UBS Arena, which opens this Saturday, which we will talk about in a little bit. Uh, But first, we need to talk about Leo Komarov. So, uh, Leo was placed on waivers last week. He was uh, placed there for unconditional release. Uh, He had signed a contract, or at least intended to sign a contract, with Ska of the KHL. Um. This is kind of a weird thing. And if you haven't read Arthur Staples' article at The Athletic, you you definitely should. It's kind of the first and last word on this whole thing. Basically, it comes down to playing time. Uh, Leo, his spot on the Islanders roster was less than guaranteed than it used to be. Uh, You know, Zach Priestley obviously kind of being one guy. But, you know, Wallstrom now has a regular spot, basically. And so it became tough to find a spot for Leo. Um, He was waived. 
could have been sent to Bridgeport, could have went to Bridgeport, but they have more veteran AHLers than they really need right now. And you could only play a certain amount. So he probably wouldn't play there either. And the dude just wants to play. And the only place that he can really play was in the KHL uh, close to his, his home in, in Helsinki. And and he chose to do that. Um, you know, it, you'd think that maybe like he'd be kind of pissed off that his job all of a sudden didn't need him after three seasons. Um, but he just had great things to say, including about Lou Lamorello and the time he had in the Islanders. And so that's it. And Leo's three years on the Island and his $3 million cap hit and his $1.5 million salary for this season are all gone. And there's a lot of things going on. Let's start with Leo, the man, (laughs) the player, the legend. Um, I mean, the guy drove us all crazy. Like, let's just be honest. You know, we sat here, we talked about his bad penalties his propensity for missing wide open nets, <laughs> his, his ability to drive guys like Brad Marchand and, and Alex Ovechkin crazy. He drove us crazy too. Um, was his signing a mistake? I don't know. I mean, the Islanders have been pretty good with him on the roster. Yeah. Um, was he overpaid? Yes, he definitely was overpaid. But, you know, I think Leo will be remembered fondly by people for the most part um, for his just general goofballery. Uh, that he brought to the team for a while. And he could actually be somewhat of of an effective player every once in a while. Just, you know, maybe not $3 million worth of effective player over the course of four years, you know, which is probably the biggest knock against him. Yeah, I think Islander fans deserve a lot of credit because we we do add, like, the nuance and context to basically everybody who comes here uh, because of the the status of the team from – for the – you know, basically the past 20 years for at least the bulk of it, you know, player, players didn't want to come here. Uh, and when, and when they did, like we got to know and appreciate them for not just their performances on the ice and whatever, but like also who they kind of were as a person, right? Like this is a very much a team of the community and, and not a product of a city. And uh, when, so when someone comes here, whether it's Leo Komarov or, um, you know, Nikolai Kulaman, Evgeny Nabokov, Lubo Vesnovsky, these these guys who 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 are characters just as much as they are uh, pl- players, like will appreciate that side of them, uh, and I think much much more so than than other fan bases because we know, like, look, Leo Komarov came here, he signed here when the Islanders uh, had just lost John Tavares, uh, they mm-hmm. were not looking like a playoff team at all, and he came and he was not, like you said, he first of all that first season with him and Val Filppula, he he actually was pretty effective right. in his role. Like he was like, <laughs> there, there were some highs on the ice. Uh, there, there were. Um, but then after that, yeah, like his, his, his play in the next, the, the, the past three seasons or three, two seasons in one game were frustrating because of the options they had to, to play in his, in his stead. And, and also, like you said, the cap hit, but uh, I think it, it just became so obvious that uh, the team uh, from Lou all the way down to you know Corey Schneider uh, or whoever, they all appreciated Leo the the man. Like you said, like this is a guy that boy, I'm sure that the guys would have loved to have Leo Komarov on like the plane home last <laughs> night. Like that's one of the first things I thought was like, can, can right. I stick it out a little bit longer, Leo, to maybe make a joke about the fact that uh, they they're they're going home after that crazy road trip and um, 
you, you, it, that's that's what it is. Like I think I think we're going to be able to do that. We're going to be able. It's almost like Alexei Yashin in a little bit, which is crazy because Alexei Yashin was one of the biggest superstars in the league uh, prior to coming over to the Islanders, and Leo Komarov was very much not. But we people got so frustrated with Yashin's on ice performances, but over time we've just realized like this guy came to Long Island, signs a big deal, and really became a part of the fabric of the team during his tenure. I was always around signing autographs. He's, everyone has a story in my generation, a fan of like meeting him and getting an autograph and that he would stick around. And, and I, and I think over time people were like, you know what? Like, yes. Did he live up? No, he did not live up to his contract. And uh, we should have probably not made the trade in hindsight, but at the same time, I, we, we appreciate him for, for his uh, kind of the, the rest of the package that was Alexei Ash and, and I think that Leo Komarov similarly is is like going to be a guy that he drove us nuts. There were a lot of times when you'd scream his name like oh, fucking Leo, and then there's other times when he'd make a play in the playoffs, especially in that that Bruins series, whether you know he he would get a chip a puck out, and everyone was right behind him, and he, they they were he was he's very easy to root for when he's doing things right. There was just not that often, and so it's he is just an absolute character and the way that his tenure ended with him kind of going through like a, uh, the, the last episode of this, the series finale of friends, sorry to spoil it for anyone who's never seen friends, <laughs> but you know, the airport scene where he was him and Lou were, he was in JFK and apparently Lou was calling him and telling him not to go. <laughs> yeah. Lou was trying to talk him out of leaving while he was at the airport, like ready to board the plane. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, that's just, and it's just, that's just the perfect ending to his, uh, you know, probably his NHL career. This is a guy who's just, he's a, uh, you know, if it's, it's one of those, if, if you know, you know, kind of situations, if you know, Leo, you know, he, he, who he is. And, and that, you know, most Joe NHL fan from Edmonton is going to think Leo Komarov, terrible player, horrible metrics. Shouldn't, shouldn't have been in the NHL. Shouldn't have ever got a four year contract, but you know, uh, Joe Islander fan knows, nah, you know, there's a lot more to the story than meets the eye. And, uh, I think players like Matt Barzell uh, and, you know, Anthony Beauvillier and the, even, you know, like Noah Dobbs and like the younger guys probably are like this, this guy helped them a lot. Uh, wh- whether like learning when's like the right time to, to make a joke in a locker room or, you know, mm. chirp of teammate or whatever, uh, get how to get under someone else's skin when, so there's, there's definitely something uh, to be said about the fact that Leo was probably more positive than negative um mm. for this team and uh yeah they made the playoffs in all three of his seasons so right yeah it's a little bit like you know I, I hadn't really thought about it now until now but it's a little bit like the cal clutterbuck situation like you know somebody might still be like ah, they traded need a rider for clutterbuck that was dumb but like if you talk to an islander fan especially now after like nine or ten seasons of clutterbuck they'd be like yeah you know what though that trade has kind of worked out for them <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kind of layers to it. And I think Leo is a little bit like that. Um, I thought the same exact thing though, like with what you were just talking about, particularly with these last two games where like, if Leo was there, like how quickly would Schrotz have slotted him in, particularly for the Tampa game? Like he would have absolutely 100% slotted him in. I don't know who would it's probably Wallstrom would have said, in fact, they, Trot said as much that had Sezikis not been sick, on Monday, Wallstrom would have sat. His details got a little bit lax, so he would have sat him. And you know 100% that that would have been Leo's spot. So it would have been Peugeot, Komarov, and Parisi. And they wouldn't have scored a damn thing. But 
they would have hit, they would have done stuff. Komarov would have gotten under somebody's skin and, you know, caused a Tampa power play or something like that. Um, and that, that's just the Leo experience. And I think the funny thing is like, you know, you, you take the whole thing and yeah, the, the Val, the, he came in, he was like the first signing. I think he and Hickey were the first signings after Tavares left. And it's like, come on, really? These guys, you know, Hickey, we love Hickey, but like, these are the signings really. Um, and then before you knew it, like the season started and, you know, once, once they got really rolling again around that December time, the Filpola and Komarov combination was actually very effective for them. Penalty killing, you know, bringing that sort of stabilized third line it really worked out really well. And then this last you know, the last time we saw Leo on the ice, he was on the first line in game seven of the semifinals, you know, because Anders Lee got hurt. And like the only guy who could kind of almost not, not that he's like Anders Lee type, but like you could kind of put the big body around, throw the big body around like Lee does was Komarov. And he drove us crazy. And it, you know, we talked for weeks about whether he was stifling Everly and stifling Barzell, but he was there and they made it, they almost made it to the Stanley Cup final. And then this, this season starts, I guess he got into a couple of games, but you know, before you know it, the season's not even a month old. He's on waivers and now he's back in Russia. Like what? <laughs> like that's just, it, it's like the man is just like this walking carnival. He's like a carnival. Like he just walk and there's like music playing and there's monkeys and, and strong men and guys breathing fire. And it's like, it's all the Leo show. It's, it doesn't make any sense, but somehow it works and it worked for him. And I, again, I, I get back to that initial signing. You know, people complain about you know, whenever I talk to people complain about Lou Lamarello. That's always for the guy ah, gave Comrade the stupid contract. Yes, it was an incredibly stupid contract, but you see the value of what he brings, and you see why Lou went out to get him. He knew him from Toronto. You knew that his personality would keep the room light and and rub off on the younger guys, particularly Barzell and Beauvillier, and uh, and he he could play a little bit in in certain spots. You know, the coaches guys like that do get to tend to be overused by coaches. Um, you know, the the best fourth line ever was definitely overused by Jack Capuano at times uh, before they kind of coalesced under under Barry Trotz and kind of find that balance. But uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if we would we would really trade that in. You know, I don't know you know where else they would have spent that that three million dollars over the last couple of years and uh, and whether they would have brought anything like what Leo brought. But at the same time. Could they have brought somebody in that you know was more effective and and did more for for that money? Guess we'll never know. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, and you know you just know <laughs> that um, uh, alumni night the first chance he gets, like he's going to get a, a really big oh ovation. yeah one hundred percent and, and, and yeah. well deserved. And um, you know I think also if you ask players like Brad Marchand or Ovechkin, um, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin, whoever he was pissing off, they're probably going to miss him. Like this is a guy that yeah. he made. I forgot Malkin. Yeah, he yeah, probably right. made it a lot more fun <laughs> to play against, uh, to play a game of hockey. Like it's fun to to go up against a pest like that. And you know, there's. I was watching a YouTube clip of Leo. Um, yeah, I just typed him in on, on YouTube when when he was leaving, and uh, there's a great clip from when he was a Leaf that we all know him for wearing that visor where it was on mm. top of his head basically it was almost like a yarmulke more than a visor <laughs> he uh he he was uh i guess the nhl had sent out a memo before uh the season saying look like we're you know the rules about the visor if you wear if you wear it incorrectly it's an automatic penalty as soon as you step on the ice and there's leo with an a on his shirt playing for the for the maple leafs hops over the hops over the boards ref 
immediately blows 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 the Leafs for a penalty, and it was because his visor was not on correctly. It was he was wearing it in this trademark Leo visor uh, way. And what's funny about that was two different things. One, uh, Elliot Friedman, in part of the, as part of the clip, had mentioned that he didn't have to wear the visor. He was grandfathered in, so it's he was wearing it just to be a nudge. To begin with, he was wearing it like. Is that right? Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. oh, right. <laughs> so he he okay. didn't have to wear the visor. He was wearing it like that. And uh, the second thing that's hilarious about it is it obviously didn't seem to take with him because and the and the league probably was just like screw it, we're not going to enforce it anymore with this guy because his entire Islander career he wore that visor in in a, right. in, in his goofball way and it was just it, it added to his his mystique uh, for sure. So yeah, um, mm. to our favorite, you know, seven tongued Estonian. <laughs> oh yeah that's the other thing the islanders are losing is their team interpreters so i don't know how this is going to work if they're going to get everybody like rosetta stone or they're going to have everybody <laughs> you know kind of find find a, a common language they're going to get some, everybody that the sort of the guardians of the galaxy universal communicator they're going to put behind everybody's ear so you know one guy's talking english another guy's talking his alien language but everybody all sounds like you know chris pratt and dave batista so i don't know it's going to be interesting but uh my, one of my favorite clips, I, I wish I knew what game he said it after, but uh, Barry Trotz was like, yeah, you know, we had Leo talk to, to Ilya, and we, we don't know if what he's saying is the right thing, but he's saying something, so I guess it's okay. And, uh, you know, Trotz, if you watch the the post, the the, the day, the, the pregame thing before, uh, when the day when Leo was put on waivers, Trotz was doing his pregame thing, you can tell that, I don't, I don't want to say he was upset or emotional, but you can definitely tell that he was a little bit bummed. That like he's not going to have that. I think he just liked having Leo around, I, not so much for his language skills, but just like I think he maybe just felt like you know kind of a kindred spirit a little yeah. bit with with Leo. So that made me sad. Yeah, it was sad. <laughs> it was, and, and uh, another thing too, like we've now seen it from a, a Josh Hosang and and Leo, two guys who left the organization in uh, right. ways that they probably didn't want to. Uh, they both singled out Lou Lamarillo as like being. Just a great, great guy, which is just so funny. Like, because yeah. we all we all think of him as kind of a godfather type figure. Then everyone outside of the Islanders just hates him because he makes his players right. shave and wear a suit, every, you know, every second of every day. Well, it's clear that they were coerced, like a hostage situation, <laughs> to say these things because <laughs> yeah. that's how that's how it works. Apparently, yeah. But. It's just I, I, I the next guy who's gonna like you know Thomas Hickey when when Thomas Hickey's Islander career comes to an end, he's. I'll be looking out for that too because I'm I'm assuming he's going to say the same exact thing. This is like, you know, this Lou guy's everything is just so he does is is right and whatever. So, yeah, hmm. Leo, yeah, I'm gonna miss you, buddy. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that also leads us to something we didn't talk about last week, so we should definitely spend a few minutes on this because I mean we talked about it when it first happened. But Johnny Boychuk is no longer an Islander either. No, he wasn't playing because of his eye injury, and we all knew that. But uh, he was traded to Buffalo uh, after the Sabres made the Jack Eichel trade. They suddenly had $11 million missing from their salary cap, and they needed you know, more money to uh, get up on the salary cap floor. We all know how that is. Hello, Islanders legend Tim Thomas. Uh, and so uh, the Islanders found a hole, uh, found an opportunity to shed themselves of $6 million in cap space, and they did that. Johnny is actually moved back to Edmonton, to uh, where he's from, and, and I guess he moved his family over there too. And so he, he's not going to play for the Sabres, but uh, it's uh, just the kind of thing that 
I guess wins you back to back GM of the year awards is like finding a way to shed salary cap space out of the clear blue sky. And, you know, that's six million dollars. And Lou Lamarello said it was a chance for us to get under the cap out out of long term injured reserve, which meant that we can now accrue cap space, which is how it works kind of on a day to day basis. You kind of get cap space, a little, a little bit of cap space every day. And then, you know, now the Islanders. With that out of the way, I mean, they could add, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $10 million sometime around the trade deadline, which is kind of a huge number. Um, and now with Leo gone, that that's, I think, even more maybe now. So in some way, but in any event, uh, whatever, whatever the big number is, between Ladd, Boychuk, and Komarov, the Islanders have shed like $14.5 million in cap space in the last few months, and they've gotten back nothing. There's no future considerations coming back from the Sabres in that Boychuk trade. And it's funny because I saw some Sabres fans like, why are we giving up stuff to get cap space? And, you know, whatever Sabres writer or blogger would be like, they're not giving up anything. They're never going to send anything to the Islanders. They don't want anything. This, this is the transaction. Hey, you guys, you need cap space? I got cap space. Here you go. All right, thanks. And that's it. And, you know, Boychuk's deal is up at the end of the year. Uh, so it'll be like nothing for them. Um, and, you know, that's just waiting patiently, doing what you need to do at the time, and then finding an opportunity and striking. And, and that's that to me is pretty cool. And, you know, I didn't even get to talk about it with Carrie, but like one thing that's keeping me from kind of completely losing my mind so far is that let's, let's just say, you know, let's just go to the worst case scenario. Let's say this is a season from hell and just everything goes to shit and the wheels come off and it never recovers. The Islanders right now are set up pretty well for the future. They got a lot of their core locked up. They now have an awful lot of cap space left over and, you know, they'll know where the holes lie and, you know, Chara, Definitely won't be back next year. I don't know about Parisi. Probably not either. Green definitely won't. And so, you know, they'll be able to fill in holes with that kind of cap space and, and you know, make some moves that a couple of months ago didn't seem like they'd be able to make because they had, you know, too many guys on the, on the books. So, uh, you know, I, I think you know, they can make those moves earlier, I should say. Those guys were always going to come off the books, but now they can make the, a lot of some of those moves maybe earlier than they expected to. So, uh, once again, you know, via Condios, Johnny Boychuk, and, uh, I think, you know, Buffalo Saber Johnny Boychuk is going to have one of those kind of like funny yeah. kind of things and <laughs> do it like, like again, Islanders legend, Tim Thomas, or, uh, you know, uh, Mike Richter, uh, San Jose shark or something like that. Wasn't he like traded yeah. to the sharks or the predators or something for like five minutes. And then he was traded back to the Rangers where he signed a contract, something like that. Yeah. Boychuk, uh, like, it, it it was kind of fitting that him and Letty both, you know, left within a couple months of each other. It was, it was like a full circle thing. Um, but yeah, like you said, it does just give them so much more flexibility. And I think what the underrated thing is is that what Lou did was he kind of opened up a um, kind of an escape valve for a situation like we're in right now, which is the Islanders are <laughs> uh, not playing great. They lost uh, their number one defenseman or one of their number one or two defensemen, and um, so now they have the opportunity to, if they need to, go outside the organization and. Um, get somebody uh which would have been a little bit tougher uh if boychuk and i guess Skamarov were still on the books so it does make you yeah feel sleep a little bit better like knowing that and and you know how many times do barry trots i feel like and 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 lou and just this whole uh, era have done so many there's been so many times where you're just like he's pissing me off like this is a, this <laughs> he's doing this just to get under my skin he's it's almost like leo a little bit like Barry Trotz is scratching Oliver Wallstrom for Leo Komarov. Like that's pissing me off a little bit. Like, but you just have learned to trust him and, and you thank God it's him, you know, coaching and mm. Lou with the, 
as the GM for, for this situation right now. Uh, because yeah, they're going into a, a, a new building, which was, they were supposed to be a uh, Stanley cup contender. And this building was supposed to be the home to a team making a legitimate run to the Stanley cup. And now they're going to be a, a team for the next little while. That's going to be fighting for their, their, uh, their season. And uh, at this new building, which is obviously opening with a lot of hype. And uh, these are the two guys who you'd kind of want to, keep everything in perspective and get these guys to focus on, on the little things instead of losing uh, sight of that. And yeah, the, that's, uh, that's another thing. Like, like I keep saying, like I'm, it's been such a roller coaster the past week that, um, and today, especially just being like, oh, the season's over. And then being like, oh, you know, it's like, I haven't played a home game yet. This is fine. Their schedule is very favorable. Like they, the goaltenders are so good that they should be able to keep them in games enough to, to steal points when they're at some point. Um, and they're so deep at forward, like this, this should turn around. Like there's just so many things pulling you in so many different directions uh, that have <laughs> Trotz and Lou kind of be the guys that are like the, the, the steadying forces is, is not lost on me. And, and, and I still haven't learned to just completely blindly trust them yet because I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, it's, it's, that's a, that's a big, uh, a big obstacle to get over. <laughs> uh, I am glad you brought up the arena though, because we obviously were going to talk about it this week, but turns out that, <laughs> you know, matters on the ice and, and injury wise seem to kind of take precedence. So we're going to table that for next week. Uh, Mike is going to the uh, the opening game. A lot of people are going to go there. Uh, then they have a game right afterwards uh, against the Leafs. And then I'm going to be going to a game uh, next week. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the whole experience next week and we'll get a, a much fuller picture of that. I think we're all pr- pretty burnt out on the uh, the previews and we just want the damn thing to open already. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Islanders are going to practice there on Thursday. So maybe while you're listening to this, the Islanders might already be on the ice at their new home. I do want to, there, there's uh, a couple just, things that I think are funny uh going mm. into it well, one of them is like it does seem like we we just haven't heard much or like the kind of yep the arena is ready like 100 percent ready for the game um so mm, i'm a, yeah. you know it does <laughs> about that yeah so there is there is going to be like some some things that i feel like are just not going to be uh 100 it's not going to be 100 percent right like it's not going to be in mid-season form mm. i think which is going to be funny to see what those things are because the, the the funniest part would be if it's like yeah we had to close half the ba- bathrooms uh, so, <laughs> just, but, or, uh, and the other thing is, uh, and I, and I, I really want to bring this up to you know, someone, uh, with, with some media presence is that the Islander fan base, um, has been able to park for free for the entire existence of Nassau Coliseum. You just had to right. either park it. No way. Yeah, you just yeah. park at Nassau Community College, Kellenberg High School, the like the, the <laughs> office across the street. Um, if you yeah. want to park on the side street across behind the McDonald's, like there was fifty ways to to get around parking sure. at Nassau Coliseum. K- Kellenberg High School, by the way, shout out my best friend Gio who went to Kellenberg. Just <laughs> <laughs> my friend and I, we 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 used to park there. It'd be eleven degrees, and the walk from Kellenberg to the Coliseum <laughs> is it's not sh- long. It's like ten right. minutes, right? But it's like a straight shot, and it's just a wind tunnel. Like there's just nothing to block mm. the wind, and it was just so cold. And um, it was always kind of a little bit of a rush to to get back to, the, to that parking lot and be like, let's see if we got in trouble, like a ticket or a boot or car towed, God forbid. And never, there's never. I I heard like it's kind of like the 50 50. I never heard anybody who won the 50 50 at the Nassau Coliseum, <laughs> even though I, I've entered it every time. Basically I've, I've right. gone to a game. I don't know one. Per- if you actually have won the 50 50, I'd love for you to either reach out on Twitter or in the comments. Cause I, <laughs> I, I swear I haven't ever talked to anyone who's ever won it at Nassau Coliseum. Um, 
And the other thing is that uh, I've never heard of anyone who got a parking ticket from parking not mm. at the Coliseum. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing how Islander fans try to get around parking uh, <laughs> for free at, at Belmont. Yeah. It's going to be a lot tougher, obviously. So I, I'm 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 really excited to hear st- stories like that. And uh, yeah, there's 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 just those kind of quirks from the Coliseum. Obviously, are the things that won't make it over. Apparently, like mm. you'd, you'd think. Um, yeah, I, I used to be able to sneak into games at the Coliseum. My friend, one of my friends snuck into game, uh, six against the Bruins. Just, you just mm. walk by, walk by one of those glass doors outside the concourse and somebody saw him and just popped the door open for him and he walked right in. <laughs> so like, like those things are just not going to happen anymore, but I, I and, yeah. and for a fan base, that's going to take some getting used to. And I think, uh, that is actually kind of an interesting angle for, for someone who wants to cover the arena from not the, uh, look, Shaquille O'Neal in his big big jacket mm. and his is <laughs> his big chicken, yeah, his big chicken. <laughs> i mean I, I was disappointed in the shack big chicken announcement because i was expecting to see Cha- shack dressed like a chicken like what's the <laughs> point of shack owning a restaurant called big chicken if you're not going to put the man himself in a chicken costume he, i mean shack is an entertainer he's a guy with a great sense of humor he, he's he's out here he's a businessman he's an entrepreneur he does whatever it takes and, uh, you know, he goes 100% all the time. I want to see Shaq in a big chicken costume. That's what I was kind of hoping for. I, I like that the sandwich, the Islander, is basically, if you, I think if you ask Shaquille O'Neal to make up mm. a sandwich, it's, I feel like that's what he would do. You know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, was it cream cheese and blue cheese? <laughs> and blue cheese and a bagel. Yes. Like that, it, that's a heavy <laughs> sandwich. Listen, I'm, I could eat with the best of them. I've eaten the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I've had the, the, uh, the chicken sandwich from Burger King. A little disappointed in the chicken, honestly. The the Popeye's chicken sandwich, though, is the truth. I actually want to get over there at one point to have the uh, the Megan the Stallion hottie sauce at Popeye's because I, I just want to try it. That that sandwich, that Islander sandwich, looks like like a big mother. I got to tell you, it looks like a really big sandwich to eat. Uh, it, I mean, I'm sure it's delicious, but that that might be a bridge too it's, far for me. I don't even know. It also seems like it's going to be a mess to eat, right? Like eating yes. that while yeah, you're Yeah, especially sitting, in your like lap, you're sitting, right? Like <laughs> the Coliseum, I, I was joking with my friends that when you left Nassau Coliseum, you took always took a little bit with you on the bottom of your shoes uh, because your, yeah. your floor you, would stick to your shoes and it, it made such a, you know, funny like sound. Uh, and mm. uh, you'd hear it as people were leaving, especially if they lost because it'd be quiet in the arena. You would just hear like a, a symphony of um, as people started to walk away from uh, right. their seats, so whereas you brought that, like that was God knows fifty years just worth of yeah, yeah, beer, whatever, and sticking popcorn, to you. Gonna, and cotton candy, yeah. blue cheese, and, and cream cheese on the floor at this brand new yeah. arena. And I do think right. that, by the way, if 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 there was like a an octopus thing for the Islanders to throw on the ice, I think bagels. Are not a bad idea. So, <laughs> man, how man, how has that never happened? Well, Boy, now man, they're serving, a, well, so listen, it might happen. No, that, that's true. That's true. I guess that does make sense. Please, nobody, nobody getting ideas. Don't tell them that you know all these guys don't. Please don't <laughs> yeah. do that. Hopefully, our influence is not. It's not I nearly mean, I've that. I've been saying that for great. years we should be throwing roses for Matt Barzell. So, and that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, roses. Yet. I think that's not happening. Yeah. Yet. So, I, I think we'll be that's safe. True. Well, those have a very poetic kind of thing as opposed to I don't want to get see somebody get brained by a bagel and <laughs> and then have to hear 
Jeff Merrick talk about if you know fans are taking it too far or anything like that. But uh, yeah, no, I'm sure the big chicken sandwich is absolutely delicious. And I'm sure all the food at, at UBS is delicious. It's cost enough. It better be delicious. But I, I, I get to that, your point. And again, I, we want to get into this more at a later date. But this is going to be a big difference. And Arthur Staple talked about this on his podcast today. Um, the guys at Hockey Night New York had a really great podcast on Monday. If you haven't, it's Sunday night, but I guess it, it popped up on Monday. If you haven't listened to it, they talked to John Ledecky. Uh, so that was really good. You should go back and listen. But uh, they mentioned that they haven't built the parking garage yet, which is going to come up soon. So hopefully there's enough parking for everybody <laughs> before they build it. I mean, I get why they didn't. You know, they can only do so much at one time. And, you know, the, the arena is kind of the necessary thing there. But until that happens, it might be tough. And please, no honking uh, and no tailgating. Um, and it's done because of the horses. We don't want to spook the horses. That is 100% from uh, – from like an official uh, person there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's going to be a new experience. And I just, I really just hope that people are, are open to that more so than they were, you know, maybe Barclay center was a little bit too much too soon, but you know, I, I, I there's going to be growing pains. Please check your seat before you sit down because the paint might be wet. <laughs> check, check the toilet before you use it. Maybe, you know, might be having an issue, but you know, ultimately everything will get settled and these guys, you know, they want the best. It'll, it'll shake itself out and it'll be fine. Game one, game two, maybe game ten, maybe that won't won't happen. But I just hope people are are patient because yeah. this is your home yeah. now. So and you deserve it. Used to that's it. the <laughs> other thing too. Is I think uh, I yeah we talk about the Islander fan psyche on the show a lot. In fact, that's basically what the show is. And uh, what you don't hear enough is like Islander fans deserve well, if, this building. If it rocks, like, and it seems like so far it it will. Like, right, we deserve that. Like you. You, yeah. me, everyone listening to the show has been through the ringer in terms of mm. like your twelve, rings. yeah, your fandom, <laughs> fifty years of rings. right. Like it's just you, you like no, nobody's going to acknowledge it outside of the Islander kind of universe, but uh, maybe a select few will. But you deserve, you deserve uh, this type of arena, a world class arena. You deserve your team to not, not, you know, not know where, or you deserve your team to to feel stable, like it's going to be here forever. Because uh, there was a the chance where it seems pretty likely that it wasn't going to be the case. And uh, you've lived through a lot of really shitty times. So um, if this thing is as good as, uh, as people are saying it's going to be, you, you deserve it. And uh, that shouldn't be lost on anybody. I don't think. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's been a lot of hand wringing about soft attendance in the NHL this year, because, you know, people are kind of maybe slow to get back to, uh, going out, which is, you know, totally understandable. And, uh, some teams just kind of stink, you know, and they don't, people don't want to watch them play, uh, anymore, which, uh, happens sometimes too. Um, obviously the Islanders haven't been part of that conversation for this first month of this season, but, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens when people start turning out. I mean, their, their secondary market prices are through the roof. It's impossible to get tickets now that right now. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think, I think if anything, we, we kind of, deserve this arena <laughs> and, and and all the amenities that we will again eventually get i don't know if it'll be you know the first the first day there but uh looks pretty sick from from what um what we've seen so far so if you're going have a good time and uh yeah enjoy it again this is your new home so uh so be ready um we we've talked for a long time this episode. there's a lot to a lot to chew over and we barely even got to the arena but again we'll we'll talk more about the arena next time uh, so I think that's probably the best to wrap it up. And <laughs> hopefully you if you see guys like, you know, walking in the street, muttering to themselves about fixing the Islanders power play or whether or not Robin Sallow can 
can replace Ryan Pollock, uh, that that's probably us, uh, or maybe you. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us uh, now wondering what's going on, but uh, well, we're all in this together, as I always say. Uh, so read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up to date Islanders news and discussion. Go to vintagehockey.com. Go to betway.com. Go to thepinoproject.com. Uh, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, the Big Lebowski with two E's. Follow Mike at the Big Le- the Big Lebowski. Read his work at the Action Network. Um, this first month of the season has probably played hell with a lot of your bets yeah. <laughs> that you placed over the summer. I'm really sorry. I hope they all turn around for you. <laughs> yes. it's not o- been good. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, D- Daryl Sutter wins Jack Adams, and and all will be forgiven. Okay, well that's good. Well, well, hopefully one of his few losses this year yeah. is on Saturday night against the Islanders. Because Daryl, I'm telling you, we need it. <laughs> so just you know, take that scrunchy face of yours and just park it for It'll a second. It'll be fun to hear him. Have our- hey, Daryl, you know, can you talk about the building for a second? Or, or you know, yeah, <laughs> not, not like the Coliseum, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's going to sound like the, he sounds like the teacher from uh, Peanuts. Just turned down the volume, turned down to like two. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love a good Daryl Sutter press conference. I haven't I haven't listened to any though since he took over the Flames, but maybe I will. Hopefully, I'll listen to a losing one <laughs> on Saturday night. But uh, if you're going, have a great time, and uh, we'll talk about all that stuff next week. Uh, we thank you for listening. Thanks again to Carrie Haber for coming on with us, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks a lot. Bye bye.